Welcome to Inside Sponsorship, the show that provides sponsorship professionals with advice, insights and news so they can maximise their commercial programmes and achieve best practice. Hi listeners, thanks for tuning in and welcome to episode 20 of Inside Sponsorship. I'm your host, Daniel Oyston and keen listeners of the podcast will know that episode 20 has meant birthday cake because allegedly... Apparently, I promised Mark in one of our early episodes that we'd get cake if we made it to episode 20. So I did just that, uh, and I took some photos. So you can head along to our Facebook page, uh, Twitter profile, or on my LinkedIn profile and check out the pics uh, of the cake uh, in our brand new studio. Cake aside, we have another great episode for you as I interview Michael Payton, Chief Commercial Officer at the Gold Coast Titans, uh, with the Titans competing in the National Rugby League competition in Australia. With Mark in the UK at the moment, I took over the reins of the blog last week, so instead of me sitting down and talking to Mark about his recent blog, I'm going to run you through what I've covered off in the blog from last week. Um, It has certainly uh, been a little bit controversial, uh, particularly with some discussion on LinkedIn, uh, because it's around social media and valuing social media posts. And I used Facebook as a walkthrough example. Um, Some people have made some really valid comments and suggestions around what I've written, uh, mostly building on it and saying that, you know, what I'd written was a little bit too basic, but I was very conscious of not overcomplicating the issue. So maybe I should have called it how to set a minimum or baseline value for your social media posts. We all know that social media value has become an important element in sponsorship as brands seek to connect to the loyal audiences that rights holders have built. And it's only going to continue to grow in importance as more and more channels vie for people's attention, particularly during live events. You know that social media is a powerful tool in your list of benefits and brands want it, but how do you go about valuing it? Now, the reason I wrote the blog was because obviously we talk to people day in, day out, around valuing their inventory as they set up on the sponsor platform. And during that process, I've seen rights holders give social media away for free or more aptly simply not put a value against it in the system because it doesn't directly cost them anything to post something. Um, And I've also seen rights holders try and include it in all of their agreements because they think that everyone is on social media these days, so surely everybody wants to include some of it in their sponsorship. And for me, that seriously devalues the power of social media. Now, if that's not you and you're already all over valuing social media really, really well and in a complicated way, then this blog and this section of the show isn't designed for you. So maybe skip ahead to Michael's interview instead. But if you struggle in this area, then this is simply the first step in beginning to value your social media. And I say first step because it can be more sophisticated than this initial approach if you want it to be if you think it's going to be valuable in your commercial program, and ultimately if you have the inclination and the ability to do it. Otherwise, this should be your minimum. But before we jump into it, it's important to keep a few things in mind. And to be fair, each one of these points that I'm about to to list could probably be a standalone blog topic themselves. But I want you to keep these things in mind. Social media and sponsorship isn't suitable for all brands, particularly if they aren't good at executing social media themselves. Social media absolutely has to be aligned to the objectives and the goals of the sponsor. The fact that it doesn't directly cost you to execute social media does not even remotely impact on the value that it positions and offers to a brand. 
Social media still requires execution and you need to be sure that you and or the sponsor have some creative ability and resources and input. Otherwise, even if it is well aligned to objectives and goals, it will probably fail or at a minimum not be as successful as it could be. If you as a rights holder bring awesome creative to the table, then this can and it should increase the value of the social media posts. Social media is not simply another sales channel. It it can be used to help sales, but the execution needs to be different quite often to other mediums. So it, it, it can't simply be interruptive like radio and TV because the final point is that poor execution of social media on behalf of sponsors can have the opposite effect and and start to alienate your existing social media audience and make your other messaging less effective. All that kept in mind, where do we start with the first step of valuing social media? And on the blog at sponsor.net, I've written a detailed walkthrough and provided a spreadsheet workbook that you can download so that you can play along at home. And a big thanks to Colin McGuire and Felicity Wilson at Touch Football Australia for making me an admin on their Facebook page so I could jump in and use some real numbers and screenshots as examples. So I won't try and walk you through all of the numbers and all the little steps and where to click and all that sort of stuff in the process because you'll probably want to do that with the blog and the workbook in front of you. Instead, the basic concept of across all social media channels in in terms of taking the first step to value them is simply to determine what you reasonably consider your average reach to be for your different types of social media posts and to put a price on that. On the blog, I average out the reach for the past five posts for Touch Football Australia for their videos, their links, and their image posts, uh, simply on Facebook as an example. And then using some various budget amounts to, to start to boost the post, we can see an estimated range for the reach of a post if we were to boost it for those various budget amounts. So I've worked through, I think, $50, $100, $150, and $200 to get some ranges and then average those out. Now, from there, we know that the average click-through for Facebook campaigns, paid campaigns, is 10% of the audience that it reaches, and that those click-throughs are averaging, at the moment, a cost of about $1. Note that 10% and $1 is based on click-throughs from a specific call-to-action paid campaign, and that not all of your sponsors' posts would even have this as an objective. So, for example, a sponsor may just want brand awareness or community engagement as opposed to trying to get your audience to click through to their site. Irrespective, I think $1 is okay to use as a value for all engagement. So that covers clicks, likes, comments, shares, and reactions. And using that, we can then set a ballpark value for a post. So, for example, Touch Football Australia's video posts average about 23,500 people in terms of reach. And so 10% of that uh, engaging with it is 2,350 people. And at a dollar per engagement, that clearly sets a minimum value of $2,350. Now, be mindful that those values, those minimum values, don't include any boosting that the sponsor may want to apply to their posts. And also that the creative, the good creative, drives more engagement and more engagement will help drive further reach. Furthermore, I think it's important to remember that you very rarely sell individual line items to a sponsor. So, you know, just one video post on Facebook. Instead, as you know, all of your values come together into uh, a proposal to provide a total uh, amount of value, which you then sell to a sponsor at a reduced rate. As such, don't get caught up too much in worrying that a sponsor may want to question your logic around your social values. 
Uh, although clearly, if you do end up having a conversation, you're going to be very well placed to to show them your thinking and how it aligns to actual real paid campaigns that they could clearly go and run themselves for about the same cost. Instead, the value you assign to any benefit, social or otherwise, is always the theoretical price for a sponsor to have the opportunity to activate it. And that's a key point, the opportunity to access and activate it. It's no different to a newspaper or a radio station spruiking their reader or listener numbers and you paying to put an ad on the radio or in the newspaper. It's just the cost to access that opportunity. And People are naive if they think that the creative and the execution don't play a hugely important role in executing good ads on the radio, uh, in newspaper or on TV. And social is no different. It still takes resources and creative and execution to make it work well and extract value from it. So as such, this is just a process to set a minimum value to access and activate the social opportunity and to reach your audience by the sponsor. It's not the true value that it actually represents to a sponsor. So for example, if you value a social media post at, say, for example, $300, just remember that the sponsor can actually extract significantly more value through actually activating it well. So for example, they may run an engaging competition where they capture uh, hundreds, maybe even thousands of entrant details, and they then may nurture that list into hundreds of thousands of dollars of ongoing business for them. As such, if you play as the rights holder a direct role uh, and bring good creative and good execution, which helps them extract more value, then you absolutely should value the opportunity higher than that minimum $300 that I gave as an example a second ago. I'll finish with the comment that not all posts are created equal. While the steps of averaging the reach for the different post types was important for the exercise on the blog, and when you go through it yourself, it'll be an important exercise as well, it does arm you with important information when discussing the posts you will execute with a sponsor. So taking a look at TFA's reach averages, if you head to the blog where I've listed them, you'll note that video reaches twice, almost twice as many people as a link post and almost five times more than a simple image post. And as such, setting expectations around the expected reach and which types of posts perform better, including the effort and the skills to actually create them because a simple link post doesn't take anywhere near as much effort as a, as a video, will ensure that both parties are on the same page about expectations and creative and execution. So if you want to take the first step, head along to sponsor.net to read the blog, and you can also download the spreadsheet template, which will help you run all your own numbers and averages and costs and all that sort of stuff. Now onto my guest this episode, Michael Payton, Chief Commercial Officer at the Gold Coast Titans. Michael is a senior executive within the sports and major event industries, and he has held senior management roles with the Brisbane Lions, the Gold Coast Turf Club and Centibet Australia, along with senior consultancy deployments with the PGA of Australia and the Brisbane Polo Club. Michael has also worked as the Bundaberg Rum Brand Manager at Diageo and Loyalty Marketing Manager for Sky City Adelaide Casino. The Gold Coast Titans were travelling through some pretty challenging times when Michael started, but are now enjoying lots of success both on and off the field. And I thought I'd extract some good lessons from Michael's work, and so I invited him on the show. Here's Michael. Michael Payton, Chief Commercial Officer at the Gold Coast Titans. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Dan. Appreciate you uh, inviting me along. Quick and easy one to start with. What was your first ever job? 
Well, that's um, that, that's a good one. But it's actually a, a bit of a curly one, to be honest. My uh, my dad actually had the the rights early days at the Sydney Cricket Ground to sell crepe paper streamers during the rugby league uh, final series. So I can remember being a a six-year-old uh, walking around the Brawongal stand at the SCG selling crepe paper streamers for 20 cents a go. Wow, that is uh, that is definitely one of the most interesting first job answers that we've had. So, <laughs> and that must that must have given some some awesome memories around rugby league and the old days and the legends and all that sort of stuff. I can actually remember um, one of the I think it was a pre-match or halftime entertainment the. Uh, the army actually built a replica of the Sydney Harbour Bridge uh, on the middle of the SCG, and it was one of the most memorable sort of uh, match day entertainment things I think I can remember. Uh, maybe second to uh, the Batmobile at the AFL Grand Final, but we're here to talk about <laughs> we're here to talk about uh, the Gold Coast Titans. And, and for those that aren't familiar with the Gold Coast Titans, can you maybe provide a little bit of context and tell us a little bit about the club? Yeah, so the uh, so the Titans are the the youngest club in the in the NRL. We uh, we ended the competition in uh, two thousand and seven. We've got uh, just over ten thousand members. We we play at a Seabus Super Stadium here at Rubina, and that stadium's got a capacity of uh, just shy of twenty seven thousand. Uh, Rebecca Frizzell is uh, is our chairwoman, and she was the the first ever female chair in of an NRL club. And uh, Graham Annesley, uh, former New South Wales Sports Minister and NRL CEO, um, is our current CEO, and uh, and our senior coach is Neil Henry. And uh, as you said, it's the youngest club in the NRL. Remind me again when it was founded. Uh, 2007 was our first uh, first season. I can actually remember. I must have gone to the 2005 or 2006 grand final, Brisbane versus the uh, the Storm, and I remember them announcing the Titans and, and Preston Campbell got wheeled out as the first sort of marquee player and captain. And I remember he's on crutches uh, moving out into the middle of uh, what is probably now ANZ Stadium. Yeah, it was a, certainly an exciting time when uh, when new teams entered a competition as a a lot of groundswell community support, which uh, which is terrific. What what's been the journey that's led you to the Titans? Well, I uh, I grew up in Western Sydney as a as a Canterbury uh, Bankstown Bulldogs fan. Uh-oh. Uh oh. Yeah, which uh, early days with uh, with Steve Mortimer and Terry Lamb as my heroes. Uh, but after uni, I held a couple of um, junior marketing roles in uh, at the Balmain Tigers and and Sydney Roosters, but. Uh, and then I, I uh, left there and, and uh, led uh, Diageo's sponsorship of the Waratahs, Brumbies and Wallabies with their Bundaberg Rum sponsorships during the Rugby World Cup uh, in 2003. But uh, after that, moved to moved to Queensland to take up a role as head of commercial for the Gold Coast Turf Club and then uh, headed up the M1 as uh, GM of consumer business for the Lions. But uh, the most recently, I've, uh, I've been the uh, chief commercial officer here at the uh, Gold Coast Titans. So uh, the Titans went into voluntary administration in February 2015 and the governing body of the NRL took over the club. Titans stakeholders are reported to have lost more than $11 million, but at the time your CEO said that memberships and corporate sponsorship would be honoured and it would be pretty much business as usual as far as the supporters and the employees were concerned. Now, that was just before you arrived, wasn't it? What were you thinking as you prefer you know, you prepared to start when clearly your skills in, in commercial and sponsorship were going to be relied upon really heavily to get the club back on track. 
Well, the uh, the administration event actually happened in my first week. I can remember it very clearly. It was day three. Uh, but my, my wife had a few questions that she was asking me pretty directly uh, about what uh, what we were getting ourselves in for. But I think um, my, my overwhelming memory of the time is there was a lot of nervous people around. So it was really important to, to stay calm and, and find out as many clear facts as we could. But I remember someone saying to me that you know, things are never as good as they seem and, and likewise they're never quite as bad as they seem. But uh, before we st- before I started at the club, I, uh, I had a pretty clear understanding that things weren't travelling that great. So I had a, uh, a very uh, honest conversation with, uh, with Graham Annesley and, and the board and I got a real sense that the NRL were very supportive of the club moving forward. So uh, the NRL have been terrific honouring all of those agreements and and uh, leading into that administration event, though, the, I had a clear understanding that the the club had had, had uh, some major sponsorships that expired and that weren't renewed. So uh, I was acutely aware that, that sponsorship acquisition was going to be a very large focus of the role in the early days. And when you walk into a you know pretty tough situation like that, and uh, you know I didn't realise that you knew the sort of the situation before you walked into it. So where do you even where do you even start? Yeah, well, it, it's, it's a really interesting one because because of the administration event, all of our existing sponsors had the opportunity to terminate their agreements. So we had to had to start by keeping the people we had, asking them to uh, novate their agreements over to a new company that was that was owned by the NRL. I think in that first week, I spoke to every sponsor three or four times. So, you know, from a building relationship perspective, it was a, it was a good first week. Got to know everyone pretty well. But uh, but after we uh, we secured all but one of those existing agreements, so I went about mapping out the uh, the commercial program. And as at that time we were heading into uh, into a season, I, I really didn't have much opportunity to to reshape or change in terms of the the offering for hospitality, ticketing, and membership. But but we did have some scope to re-engineer our sponsorship program. And I, I can say that the only fortunate thing about not having major sponsorships in place is that you get a really clear, a good idea of the benefits and entitlements that are available so that you can uh, you can shape a, a very clear value proposition for a, a new potential partner. So at that time, look, we just we really had to focus on relationships. We had to be upfront with people, tell them the story of what was going on, no spin, just being really authentic and telling people how it was. I think, you know, Clearly, you do, you do have to be pretty upfront about it because there's stories about what's happening in the paper and, and rumours and all that sort of stuff. Were, were many people, you know, take much reassuring or were they sort of all hands to the pump, we're here to support the club, we're on board, Michael, let us know what we need to do? Well, a lot of people were, uh, were, were really keen just to get a clear understanding of what was going on. Like you said, there was a lot of speculation, so... You know, having a having a I suppose a, a voice on the phone or face to face meeting was was our focus. We we couldn't handle that situation although that time via email. It was really important we had personal relationships and and conversations with people so that we could reassure them of exactly what was going on and and how that would affect them. Once you look after those existing commercial arrangements, and you mentioned before that you churned one, and and considering that from the outside in, some brands might have some concerns about what's happening at the club, you get a handle on what you've got left to sell and all the inventory and benefits and all that sort of stuff. How do you go about selling sponsorships to those brands who you're contacting, who you want to bring on as new sponsors, who were probably, rightly so, a little bit wary of the situation? 
Yeah, well, look, I think you get back to, to basics, to be honest, and we had to focus on our on the market fundamentals. 600,000 people live here on the Gold Coast. It's Australia's sixth largest city with a junior rugby league participation base about the same size as that as uh, Penrith and Parramatta. So ultimately, rugby league is a power code here on the coast, which is a region underpinned by some very significant market sectors in, um, in tourism, health and education. And, and, you know, with an ever-expanding population, I think there's 5,000 new dwellings being built every year in our region. So there's some good opportunities from a market sector perspective. At, at the time, we'd, we'd just released our, our strategic plan that articulated our aspirations and provided a clear roadmap of, of kind of how we wanted to achieve our goals. So so that provided a good overview of our club and, and our team was able to talk to that very clearly when they got in, in front of people. We're also fortunate that... Uh, there are a number of supply rights deals that, that needed to be done, which which gave us really clear focus on on the agreements we needed to reach and the potential clients to work with. So, um, and we had this developing story too of uh, a, a move to to a new high performance centre at uh, at Parkwood International Golf Club. So, there were numerous points of discussion that we were able to introduce to um, to potential clients and, and indeed existing clients. So, but importantly, I think that the most fundamental thing we did is we changed our approach of of how we delivered entitlements and and leverage opportunities. We integrated our marketing and events and community uh, and digital teams into the wider commercial division of the Titans, which really provided a lot of efficiency and and and, a, and an excellent amount of cohesion between departments. You spoke. Uh, before about uh, your team and you speak about integration with other departments there and clearly part or maybe even a lot of your success lies in getting the right commercial staff in place what qualities were important for people to have and where did you go looking for good staff yeah fortunately we had had and and still have some very passionate people working in our team uh my, my role was was to focus the energy and effort on the uh, of the team on on some really clear priorities at the time we put in place a, a really clear plan prioritized our actions and and developed a, a really basic tracking tool to measure our performance but you know in the in the broader commercial team we we had a uh, much like a football team, we had a mix of youth and experience, but uh, but in the sponsorship team, we had some very experienced commercial operators that that had that had excellent skills at building uh, skills at building relationships. So, to narrow and a priority qualities, I'd have to say that having broad commercial experience really enables you to have a a, a discussion with a, a wide variety of of commercial businesses, um, but also underpin that with a with the capacity to build excellent relationships. So. You know, uh, Paul Robinson, Luke O'Dwyer, Adam Spackman within the sponsorship team. We had some really great people that were energised, I think, by the opportunity to, to rebuild not only the sponsorship program but, but our club in general. And so roughly 18 months on, the club is is in a much better position. Can you wrap some numbers around it for us, your commercial program, and, and maybe explain uh, how the volume and the numbers might have changed over time over that 18 months? Yeah, we've uh, we've had a good run, and I'm I'm really pleased for our team and the and the club. Who you know, a lot of people have put in an enormous amount of effort, and and so the, the to achieve some some pleasing results has been great. Um, overall, our commercial program has grown annually by by just over twenty percent. Uh, we've increased our season average crowds by twenty three percent. We've increased our corporate hospitality by twenty two percent. Both of which uh, those areas hadn't grown in three years. Um, and and from a sponsorship perspective, we've contracted just over eighteen million dollars uh, in sponsorship since the NRL assumed ownership. So, 
all of our apparel assets are, are full, which is great, and, and they're all benchmarked in the NRL's top eight. So membership-wise, uh, probably just to finish on that one, volume increased uh, marginally, but, but most importantly, uh, our membership revenues increased. So, But we're looking for some solid increases into the 2018, uh, sorry, 2017 season. So, so yeah, overall, the, the results are very pleasing. Now, our listeners know that the show isn't designed to push or to plug our software sponsor, but uh, that, you know, podcasts and blogs like this are all about helping educate and learn from other people. But Sponsor has played a role, particularly this season, in your continual push for improvement. So I think it would be good to hear about why you chose to implement Sponsor as you, you were growing and you're on a trajectory and how it's helped your team so far. Yeah, certainly the uh, the administration event provides a, a need to review our operations. Uh, during that time, we spoke to all of our sponsors about our, our service and our approach to account management. And and we, like like many other sporting teams, had a pretty basic uh, process and systems in place to, to manage our sponsorship program. And when you put that into context of, of how we manage our, our largest revenue line, we really needed to do uh, to do it better and have a, a much more robust platform to manage our program effectively. And and ultimately, that's aimed at, at delivering great outcomes for our clients. Um, what we found with Sponsor, and we, we deliberately went looking for a program, but what we found with Sponsor was that it, it enables us to, <clears throat> pardon me, to have a really clear, consistent approach to managing our program, and and it enables our team, whether they be account managers, marketers, event managers, hospitality coordinators, and even our finance team to have a reliable source of information, which uh, which is very important in the overall management of our sponsorship program. So so today we're, we're very pleased with, with our, uh, our sponsor is working for us. Now, you recently signed Jared Hayne, one of the most high-profile athletes in the country, on a two-year deal. How much energy does that inject into the commercial program and and how do you how have you and how do you plan to further capitalize on him you know, in the next few years from a commercial perspective with sponsors and talking to businesses yes signing grades jared uh has been great for our club uh the nrl and, and even our city as a whole here on the gold coast so uh the announcement that uh that he had signed generated significant attention attracting national and and even international media so I remember the the Facebook live stream at the time reached just over three hundred thousand uh, people. So so it was a significant event. Um, and then we went on and uh, and announced that he was playing that week. So we saw an instant impact in ticket sales. I think the the stat was that we sold a thousand tickets in the in the fifteen minutes after the press conference. So uh, commercially, we we saw impact on ticket sales with a with the crowd. Uh, that weekend against the Warriors, we'd expected to uh, to have 18,000 people through the gates, and and that crowd swelled to 25,000 uh, in the lead up to that game. Uh, likewise, our, uh, our game against the Panthers late in the season attracted a, a crowd 4,000 people bigger than than we'd originally forecast that in the early season. Uh, hospitality saw a significant uplift; it was close to 30%. Game day merchandise sales were up uh, 100% for both of those games. So. Uh, broadcast, broadcast-wise, the game against the Warriors was the largest ever audience for a Sunday 2 p.m. game on Fox. Um, I think they had Hain Cam as well on on that game. Um, <laughs> sponsorship-wise, the uh, the interest has been terrific. So uh, with some major brands really expressing um, a desire to sit down and explore some opportunities with us, and I think ultimately it's given us some real relevance in major markets, which is uh, which is providing us really solid long-term opportunities. 
with so much awesome change having already happened and a, and a really solid base and and now some on-field success, what are your plans for the commercial program now? Where do you where do you want to take it? And and are there some areas that you're looking to improve in? Oh, absolutely. I think if you if you stand still, you you're kind of going backwards. So. Uh, the fact that our apparel assets are full now, which is a great foundation, it, it's a terrific start. But, you know, we're working on a number of categories to grow our program. Um, naming rights to our high performance centre is is the first cab off the rank, uh, a partner for our community programs. And we're also looking for support for our academy and our, and our high performance uh, unit. So um, I think improvement comes with consolidating our commercial position and providing excellent account service and, and tangible value to our sponsors. But I think the thing I'm most excited about is our digital program. Um, I think we've got a lot of improvement to go there and we've recently overhauled our approach to, to content generation, social media and, and audience engagement. So um, I think there's uh, there's much more to come there. It's only early days, but we've, we've taken some, some very exciting, uh, great first steps and, and I think commercialising that over the next couple of years will be a terrific opportunity for us. Your role immediately prior to the Titans, as you said before, was at the Brisbane Lions AFL Club. How would you co- compare the two commercial programs of the Titans and the Lions? Can you give us an example of maybe something, without overstepping the line, obviously, that the Lions maybe did better or do better as an example of something that you think the Titans could do better? Yeah, I wouldn't say better or worse, probably just just different. Um, certainly the, the AFL approach to, to membership shared services is outstanding. The collaboration between teams and the AFL on, on delivering best practice membership programs and services is a really great thing for fans. So I think they do that really well. Um, from the Titans' perspective, you know, our connection with the community is, is outstanding. We've got some really good programs that, that provide great interaction with community groups. And, and most recently, we've, we've entered into a partnership with, with Touch Football Queensland where the local Super 8s team play under the Titans banner. And that's delivering great coaching and, and player pathways as, as well as a wide range of consumer touch points. So, so I think, uh, you know, certainly from a Titans perspective, the, the community activity is, is really important. I think as a young club as well, you know, maintaining our focus on connecting with the local communities is a very high priority for us. What sort of websites or, or people do you follow online to help keep you up to date with the industry and what's happening and the trends and all that sort of stuff? Well, apart from the uh, the EDM I get from sponsored, which is very informative. Um, Correct I, I answer. Like, uh, <laughs> I uh, I like the the sponsorship news website. I uh, I really enjoy seeing clubs have success in in acquiring new sponsors. I I think it's great for our industry to have brands investing in teams and and, and clubs. Uh, it's kind of the mentality of a, a rising tide floats all boats. So um, yeah, really, ple- I really like that one. Uh, and I also follow um, Doctor Sports Biz Dave Arthur on uh, on Twitter. I think he's uh, he he's got a knack for for sharing some great fan engagement stuff. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm really interested in following his work. Excellent, Michael. If if people want to get in touch with you, what can they do? Yeah, look, I'd really encourage people to reach out. Um, happy to happy to answer other questions offline or uh, or down the track. But uh, connect via LinkedIn is is probably the best place to do that. Very good. Michael Payton, Chief Commercial Officer, thank you so much for taking us inside the commercial program at the Gold Coast Titans. A pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thanks again to Michael for coming on the show and taking us inside his work. He started off in a challenging situation, but as you heard, the club is now doing really well and primed for even more success, both 
on and off the field uh, and, and particularly in the office. If you want to connect with Michael, I've put all the relevant links in the show notes at sponsor.net. That's pretty much a wrap for episode 20 and I'm really looking forward to catching up and chatting uh, with Mark about his trip to the UK, the people he met and also some of the insights he's taken away from the Leaders Conference in London. If you want to connect with me, you can do so on LinkedIn. Just search for Daniel Oyston or drop me an email at daniel at sponserve.net or on Twitter using the handle at sponserve. And of course, you can connect with Mark Thompson on LinkedIn or email at mark at sponserve.net. There was no shout outs this week, but if you'd like to hear your name on the show and get a shout out, then be sure to drop me a note. Uh, I do want to, however, plug a new sponsorship podcast. You might remember Vicky Saunders, who joined me for episode 11 to discuss athlete sponsorship. Vicky has just launched a brand new podcast which focuses purely on individual athlete sponsorship. So if you know of any athletes who are looking for sponsorship, then be sure to let them know about Vicky's podcast. Uh, and I've put a link uh, to it in the show notes, or you can head to iTunes and search for the Athlete Sponsorship Podcast. Finally, if you aren't one of Sponsor's awesome clients, but you want to find out more about how we help, a reminder that we've released three audio case studies uh, covering stories from our awesome clients, uh, they being the Brumbies, the Newcastle Jets, and Touch Football Australia. Just head along to sponsor.net and click cases in the menu. Of course, as always, if you've got two minutes and you love the show, then be sure to head to iTunes and leave us a quick review because it really does help get the show out to more people uh, and makes a big difference in helping them find us. If you aren't already, be sure to subscribe to receive all of our content straight to your inbox. Simply head to any of our blogs or podcasts at sponsor.net, fill in the subscription form, and we'll deliver that content to your inbox each and every week. Until next time, I'm Daniel Oyston. Thanks for listening to Inside Sponsorship. Thanks for listening to the show. For more episodes, blogs, and resources, head to sponsor.net or search for Sponserve on Facebook, Twitter or LinkedIn.